I'm Dennis Foley. Now, here's Jack Riccardi. All right, and in the words of the uh, legendary television series Star Trek, Dennis, damn it, Jim, I'm not a biologist. Just needed to say that. Just wanted to get that off my chest. I want that, I want that known before we go any further. I'm not a biologist. Although I will say, in seventh grade biology, I got an A+. Plus. I don't know if that counts or anything or not. Um, so here's where we're at today. Here, here's, here's where we're at in 2022, the, uh, the year of our Lord. We had another day, uh, and this happened last night. But it's in the news today. We, we, we have this confirmation hearing for Judge Jackson to be on the Supreme Court. And while we were on the air yesterday, so I missed it, caught up with it after the show. I'm going to play it for you here in a second. She's being questioned by Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. And she asks Judge Jackson, can you provide a definition for the word woman? And there's a context to this, and there's a reason for this. And I want to play the exchange between Senator Blackburn and Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Listen to this. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not. In okay. this context, so I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Just Mm. last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA swimming championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If, if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it. Mm, okay. Um, Enough. Um, by the way, are we allowed to say straight answer anymore? Is that allowed? Are we allowed to use that terminology? I don't know. I'm just asking for a friend. L- let's be clear about this because this is bad. Katanji Brown-Jackson knows what a woman is. If Katanji Brown-Jackson witnessed a crime and the police said, please describe the perpetrator, she would be able to tell whether it was a man or a woman. When she goes to the store to buy her clothes, she goes to the section that has women's clothing. She knows what a woman is because Joe Biden promised to appoint a woman and he appointed her. Joe Biden knows what a woman is because he also promised to have a woman as his running mate and he found Kamala Harris. So it's not that they don't know. And in the future, maybe people won't know. But right now, what you're seeing is an accomplished, highly educated woman, a woman who has gone to the finest educational institutions our country has to offer, a woman that is already sitting on the federal bench. She has risen to the peak of her profession. She is on her way to a Supreme Court seat, which I think she's going to get. 
It's not that she can't define, it's that she is worried. <laughs> because no matter what she says, it's a problem. That's where we're at right now. She knows the definition of a woman. You don't have to be a biologist to know the definition of a woman. Do you? Do you think you do? Do you think it was a bad question? I think it was a good question. I think it was a bad answer, but it's not a surprising answer. This is where we're at right now. Batting down this question tells you where we're at as a society. She's not the problem. She's a symptom of the problem, in my opinion. And um, I, I, I worry about this. Again, Not she's going to be confirmed. That's not an issue. But what you're seeing is a society, we're living in a society where the truth dare not be spoken. Even by people that are insulated and protected when they speak it. If she's afraid to give that answer, then your daughter standing up in a classroom or answering a question in a classroom is going to be afraid to give that answer. Your son is going to be afraid to give that answer. Our children in their future job interviews are going to be afraid to give that answer or not know which answer they're supposed to give. The lack of clarity is going to be a problem going forward. She knows the answer. I'm not a biologist. You would think somebody that was chosen specifically to be the first black woman on the court would have a answer for the definition that justifies her nomination. You would even think that perhaps she would have rehearsed a better placeholder of an answer than the one we got. I'm beginning to think, as I watch these hearings, that they are so confident in her confirmation that they really didn't prep her, or she didn't really prep. Uh, a lot of these answers were of the I don't know variety. She was asked about prior rulings, I don't know. She was given quotes from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is the most iconic woman in modern American jurisprudence. She said she wasn't familiar with the quotes. They sell Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote books at World Market. You don't have to be a legal scholar, let alone a biologist. And by the way, why would you need a biologist? John Hayward pointed this out on Twitter. He said, the funniest thing about the answer is that under current Democratic Party ideology, biologists are absolutely the last people on earth who would have anything to say about the definition of womanhood. And other people noted that the Democrats are the party that have been screaming at us for two years to follow the science. All of a sudden, there's no science here. There's no science in the room with the people that for years told us science was what they believed in. Science is the answer to everything. And here's why it wasn't a bad question. Um, there are going to be cases involving women's sports, involving women's higher education, involving Title VII and Title IX. And so it's, it's a real thing. It's not like asking a question totally outside the realm of the Supreme Court just for the fun of it, like what's your favorite kind of 
chicken wing or you know who's going to win the Big Twelve this year. It's not it's not a it's not an out of the you know out of left field kind of question. It matters that you can't accept a basic definition. And again, I don't believe that she doesn't know. She was literally afraid to answer. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. Look, the biggest problem we have right now isn't stupidity, it's fear. We have Democrats and Republicans. We have men and women. We have white people and black people. We have Christians and Jews and Muslims and atheists and agnostics who just won't say something they know is true because they're afraid of being canceled, scolded, or called a bad name. How can we educate children? How can we bring up the next generation if we can't tell them what we know is true? How can we help people out of poverty if we can't tell them what we know is true? How can we help people out of addiction or homelessness if we can't tell them what we know is true? If we're too afraid to say what's true, what's the, what's the value of truth? Maybe I should ask, what's the definition of truth? And is that the dodge now for every question we don't want to answer? I can't answer that because I'm not a fill-in-the-name-of-the-college major. (laughs) I'm not a biologist. I'm not a virologist. Boy, a lot of people had opinions about COVID who weren't virologists, including me. Should that have been the dodge there, too? Jack here on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. I want to dig into that moment because it it may seem like a, uh, a, a brief moment or minute in these confirmation hearings, but that really right there is kind of iconic or emblematic of of the times we're living in. It would be one thing if we were saying, you know, kids are going to grow up not knowing facts and truth objectively. They're going they're growing up in a world, they're marinating in a world of how you identify and how you feel. But Judge Jackson is our age and much better educated than most of us are. It's sad and pathetic and creepy and and disappointing and lots of other pejorative words to hear somebody pretend they don't know the answer. Not knowing the definition is cool by 2022 standards. Saying the definition is broken and backwards and misogynistic. Okay, well, put me down for that. 210-599-5555. So was it a bad answer or was it a bad question to be asking her in the first place? And Charles is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Charles, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, I believe it's a good question because that's the question my 14-year-old granddaughter would probably answer. If this lady can't just simply say what a woman is, we need to turn around and ask, then how do we know you're a woman if you can't identify oh, as a woman? Yeah. You know? You know yeah. How did, how did President Biden know when he promised to appoint an African-American woman that you are one? Yeah, because you can't even say, okay, a woman is basically a woman that has a reproductive system that could produce a child. Simple and easy. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? So, um, that's a good, that's a good point. But literally could correct answer. Well, she's giving no. She's giving politically correct answers. That's 
that's the problem. But but what, one of the one of the things about being on the highest court in the land is that you are you know you're you're making you're making rulings. And I'm not saying I like this. This is just the way it is. So don't yell at the radio when I say this. But you're basically issuing edicts that command how people will live. You are defining rights. You are defining people's spaces in the world and society. You have to be politically incorrect. You have to go by what the Constitution indicates. And and if that's unpopular, or that isn't what the president who nominated you wanted you to do, and she's she's showing us that she's the latest in a long line of judges whose rulings will be completely predictable based on who was who nominated her and that's a problem that's a problem even when the rulings go your way um from a legal perspective this isn't just embarrassing this could have actual legal ramifications uh, she's obviously qualified to be on the court, but she has a willingness to say whatever she thinks will get her votes or keep her from losing votes. And if she's doing that now, what will she be like when the the court is taking on the case, perhaps the case of the NCAA swimmers or the case uh, that examines and reopens Roe v. Wade? 210-599-5555. The thing about the Supreme Court, the thing that people who admire it usually admire about it is that it's above the fray. They perceive it to be anyway. And that means you speak objective truth. You know, people that lionize Supreme Court justices usually cite their bravery whether you admire Clarence Thomas or the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg or whoever your your favorite is or was, you you usually are are celebrating the the bravery of their vision and their clarity and their uh, speaking the truth. This was not a good exhibition of that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. What did you think of the question? What did you think of the answer? And then as John Hayward points out, the dodge that you're not a biologist, well, we're not letting biologists determine this anymore. A biologist would say that uh, men have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome, and women have two X chromosomes. And that's the single basic definition. So right at the moment of fertilization, when a sperm fertilizes an egg, it determines whether it's XX or XY. There. There's your biology. doesn't take a paragraph. It's not difficult. Two letters. <laughs> That's your definition. And that doesn't touch the politics of it or the feels about it. That's a fact. And she knows it. 210 599 
You know, if she had said, like if she'd gotten the chromosomes mixed up, if she'd said, oh, um, I think it's uh, a woman is uh, XY and a man is XX, and people said, whoa, whoa, she, she botched her answer, then I would say, well, she's not a biologist, <laughs> okay? But she would be, she'd be on the right track. She'd just have the detail wrong. That's okay. I can live with that. I, I, you know, you make, you make detail mistakes like that. But to say, oh, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It's disingenuous. It's also a sign of the times, though, right? I mean, to be honest with you, I would expect that a lot of people in a lot of situations today don't give the straight answer they know is correct and factual and fact-based because they think they're in a place where that is not going to be okay. And Exhibit A is the classroom of higher education. If you have a child or grandchild in college right now, you talk to them sometime about whether they can raise their hand and say what they really think or what they know is true about American history, about current events, or whether they have to watch themselves and check themselves because of what will happen to them, not only from their peers, but even from their professor. If they say the right thing, but it's the wrong thing in that moment, it's not what people want to hear. It's not just this hearing. It's not just this moment. It's not just Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. 210-599-5555. So we've got President Biden going to Europe. He's going to talk to the allies. Uh, He's meeting with uh, the key allies in Brussels, and he'll go to Warsaw. It's a four-day trip. It's being described by the White House as an emergency summit. They scheduled it over a week ago. If it was an emergency, wouldn't you go right away? All of this is an emergency. What have they been waiting for? Why is everything that's being described as an emergency in this war playing out so leisurely? It's the most leisurely emergency I've ever seen. I mean, their idea of an emergency is an ambulance with the sirens on and the lights flashing, stopping to go through the drive-thru at Whataburger. So... There's the actions and there's the words, right? The words are urgency and emergency. The actions don't line up with that at all. Talking about that moment in the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Jackson in which Senator Blackburn uh, asked her to provide a definition of a woman and uh, the judge said, I, I can't. And we know that she can. It's remarkable that she would not. And over the last few days, we have had so much reaction to a piece that I read from the other day on the show uh, by our next guest, who was writing of her own experiences with uh, women's sports, women's higher education, um, and uh, said in part, um, in an effort to become more inclusive of those that deny biological reality, higher education is in fact erasing women's opportunities and I, I guess you could say erasing women or even the definition of a woman uh kate herzl wrote that she joins us in the ktsa Connecticut quality water softeners newsmaker line right now and it's it is great to have you and congratulations on this piece it's very powerful 
Yeah, it's great to be on today. So what was the moment that, because I, I feel like when I read this, this just came out of you like in one, you know, you were you, you just sat down and wrote this in one fell swoop, or it, it, it has a lot of feeling behind it. So what was the moment or the thing that touched you off on this? Yeah, so as correspondent director with Campus Reform, we're a news outlet that reports on higher education. And so obviously every single day I see articles come in that mm -hmm. show examples of women being under attack, unfortunately. Campus Reform coming, you know, it's March, it's Women's History Month. Campus Reform has been reporting on numerous colleges and universities using the term Womixen. And to be honest, I don't even know if I'm saying that term right. W <laughs> I don't either. Womixen, is it Womix? But it's pretty much a term that's supposed to be inclusive and add trans women, aka biological men, and non-binary individuals to the women's movement. And that's ridiculous because I'm proud to be a woman just as you should be proud to be a man. Women and men have things they should celebrate and contributions that they do to society. And unfortunately, in higher education, uh, they're basically denying biological reality to erase women's opportunity to excel in academics, athletics, and career tracks. What I think you did well, though, in this piece, and I think what people responded to, was you, you took it to a personal point of view and you said here's my story here's how opportunities that i had that we are now um either diluting or erasing helped me get to where i am and become the person i am today and and you in essence what you're saying is we're tearing down fences that we you know um that we we won't understand the ramifications of until it's too late Exactly. And we're seeing that right now. What's in the news everywhere? Leah Thomas, University of Pennsylvania swimmer, just, you know, broke records. Unfortunately, we've been reporting on Leah Thomas since the beginning. Seems like every couple of weeks he breaks a new record. And that's because it's a biological man competing against biological women in women's sports. And this isn't the first time. I mean, we're seeing in high school level, uh, unfortunately, athletes in 2019 couldn't compete in the Connecticut Indoor Track and Field Championship because two biological men were competing instead. Personally, I ran 400-meter hurdles in college. I competed in high school. I competed in middle school. And I can promise you, if a biological man stepped up to that start-finish line, I would already know there's a physical disadvantage. And let's not forget, sports are more than just competition. It's how women get scholarships. It's how women get achievements, success. Right. It's how I learn management it's the first place i really learned drive in my life so those opportunities are definitely being taken away from women i was saying yesterday on the show kate that i i wonder what happened to feminism that caused it to sell out to to identity politics i i grew up in the northeast so i i, I grew up around very liberal uh feminist outspoken women and they seemed absolutely uncompromising about the idea that we need to be at the table, we need to be in the room, we need equal opportunities, we will equal or excel uh, men. Um, wh where are those voices now? Yeah, I I really wish that I could hear them. <laughs> uh, you know, luckily for campus reform, we do have a lot of women that are reporting on these issues on college campuses, but. 
I definitely agree. It's extremely frustrating. I was very involved in Greek life on on my campus, and unfortunately, I hear that my alma mater, Albion College, is now letting, allowing anyone who identifies as a woman to join sororities. I've heard many women tell me that they're not allowed to use the term sisters now anymore because it is offensive to non-binary individuals that have joined a sorority, as if forgetting the whole reason why a sorority was created as a place for women to get together, to Mm -hmm. uh, be able to learn leadership skills, gain mentorship, etc. And that's the same thing with women's scholarships. Anyone who identifies as a woman can be accepted. Same with women's colleges. Four out of five women's colleges now accept anyone who identifies as a man into a college that was originally built to focus specifically on women's needs. So yeah, I really wish that more women would speak out about this topic. And hopefully with, you know, Leah Thomas bringing the transgender issue up in the first place, we'll make a, we'll make more women be vocal about it. I have to ask you, and I know that this isn't what you wrote about in your, in your column, but uh, you know, to hear judge Katanji Brown Jackson, who had the finest higher education this country can provide, who has risen to the top of her profession, who clearly is a, is a very smart, accomplished person, whatever we disagree about politically, to hear her pretend she cannot define the word woman. What, what, what does that say to you? What was your reaction when you heard that? Well, I just think it's very funny that we talk about the party that says, trust the science, and the science obviously states what a woman is. I mean, it, obviously, it's very frustrating, but at this point in time, we've seen, uh, you know, Biden nominate Rachel Levine, who is now one of the 12 women of the year, even though Rachel Levine is a biological man. Caitlyn Jenner was the woman of the year in 2015, who's a biological man. The Miss Nevada was a biological man. Miss Spain, who's convicted in Miss Universe, is a biological man. Events that are created to celebrate women and accomplishments are being stolen from women. And the fact of the matter is, is the the left, the left and the woke movement isn't willing to be able to say what being a woman is. Uh, uh, one of our reporters at Campus Reform went to Georgia Tech when uh, Matt Walsh was speaking there about you know the transgender movement and what it is to be a woman, and they asked students, "What is it? To, what do you describe being a woman as?" And they're like, "An aura, being independent, as if that's." what being mm. a biological woman <laughs> means is that your mm. brain isn't born biologically different or your body isn't born It's just a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which is unbelievably ridiculous that we're even allowing this to happen. But this is starting on college campuses. They're learning it somewhere. And these students are learning on college campuses, entering in society, and really changing our society. We have to, pre- we have to stop pretending that when college students yeah. enter the real world, it's going to change. They enter right. the real world changing our culture i think that's a great point and i know that's a lot of uh, that's behind a lot of what you do at campus reform uh the pieces at campusreform.org kate herzl great job with this i hope we can talk to you again but thanks for coming on today yeah of course thank you very much all right terry writes to jack at ktsa.com uh about the question for the judge i would have replied please ask a real question with some relevance the question is so stupid Writes Carrie. So, do you think, uh, like Carrie does, that it was a bad question, or do you think it was a bad answer? Um, I think it was an emblematic answer. I think it was the answer that represents a lot of what passes for uh, 
ducking the mob, basically. This was a, I'm going to pretend I don't know, because if I say, then I open up a can of worms. It's not a good quality in a judge. Ted is on KTSA, 210-599-5555. Ted, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. You know, I just I want to do a little public service here and, and help out our illustrious judge, uh, Jackson, who is the first question mark of uh, African-American question mark to be nominated for the Supreme Court. But she apparently doesn't know what she is or can't define herself. But the, the dictionary dis- definition of woman is the female of the human species. So here is what the problem is. Uh, we're trying to differentiate between woman and female and man and male. But you can't do that because the terms man and woman are just like rooster and chicken or buck and doe or bull and cow. It's the names that we give the different parts of our species, which is a binary species, uh, to differentiate them. That's all it is. And all she would have had to say is, a woman is a female. And if you want to go further and define female, female is the human who is capable of producing ovum, mm-hmm. gametes, for reproduction. Now, mm-hmm. of course, there are instances where a woman may not be able to do that through mm-hmm. um, different reasons. Yeah. No, I don't want to go. Okay, you, you made the point, and you it's a good point. She, she, know, she knows all this. I, I'm pretty sure, Ted, that she knows all this. The issue here is why someone in her position would be so afraid to say it. It is an issue, and that, and I. Think and if she's afraid a, to say it, then our children are going to be afraid to speak the truth in the classroom when they're asked. People are going to be afraid to say it in the workplace. You're going to be afraid to say it in conversations with your neighbors or friends. That's what. That's our problem. She's got a protected, privileged position, and she is still afraid of the cancel mob. That is that is striking. And that's not what we want in a Supreme Court judge. I'm sorry. Ted, I appreciate the call. Um, and, and, Carrie, to your point about it being a stupid question, it, you know, in any other time, I would say it, it is a stupid question. You know, in another day and time, it would be like asking what's 2 plus 2 or what letter comes after B in the alphabet. But the reason Senator Blackburn, who's also not stupid, asked this question is because she wanted to see if Katanji Brown-Jackson would answer it. She, she wasn't asking to see if Katanji Brown-Jackson knew she was asking to see if she would answer it. We learned a lot from her decision to not answer it. And her feigned, well, I'm not a biologist. Mm. If only uh, judges, federal judges, were this humble about all the things they haven't majored in or taken a degree in. If, if all of our elected officials were this humble about um, the things they are not trained in i don't know if you've noticed lately but they appoint themselves experts in all kinds of things on the spur of the moment you don't very often hear them you know step back humbly and say well i'm not uh, trained in that i don't know anything about that all right so the president's in europe and there are people who are saying that if this trip is going to mean anything He needs to meet with Vladimir Zelensky. Pointing out that 
the prime ministers of Poland, Slovenia, and I think the Czech Republic was the other one, uh, got on a train and inserted themselves briefly into um, western Ukraine, had a meeting with Zelensky. We saw it on our televisions. And so uh, Wolf Blitzer was interviewing a um, some Ukrainian official, and, and this guy was telling Wolf Blitzer over on CNN, you know, Biden needs to meet with him face-to-face, not a Zoom meeting, not the thing that they did with Congress. Um, and Wolf of course, said, "Well, that's that's pretty dangerous. You know, we we uh, we take extraordinary precautions around American presidents, even when they travel in this country." Um, and this uh, guy laughed and said, "Well, you know, don't tell us about danger." What do you think about that? Biden meeting with Zelensky. Does he need to do that? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I um. There's all kinds of jokes you can make, obviously, about that, I guess. But um, I, I guess w- this entire, you, you could probably, one take would be, well, that, that would just be a photo op, Jack. That wouldn't mean anything. That wouldn't change anything. It would require a great deal of security and planning. It would expose the lives of countless Americans uh, to risk as they guarded their president. Um, I, I kind of think this whole trip is a giant photo op. I mean, who takes 10 days to have an emergency meeting? And I, I just, I, I to me, the whole posture of the Biden administration toward Russia and Ukraine is wait and see. The whole thing is a wait and see. Even when the president was rolling out his sanctions regime, he said it would take a month or two. And no one thinks that that's, that doesn't sound like no one would describe that as urgency. So whatever you think we should or shouldn't do, whatever position you take, I mean, we can get into that. But please don't tell me there's urgency or this is an emergency or they're acting with all, you know, all haste. It's, none of it is. And as far as him meeting with Zelensky, be very careful, uh, Mr. President, uh, you wouldn't want to have what happened to the last American president who had a phone call with Zelensky happen to you. So just saying, just point that out. I want to talk a little about this whole thing with the president going to uh, Europe because people react to this stuff, you know, uh, primarily, right, especially, you know, talk radio and, and cable. The reaction to a lot of this stuff is you react as a Republican or a Democrat. Let's get the Republican reaction. Let's get the Democratic reaction. The Republicans are pouncing and criticizing uh, President Biden, and the Democrats are defending him. Um, but, you know, the more I read about all of this and what we're doing and what the world is experiencing, and we talked about this a little bit with Steve Moore on the show last night, there's a, there's a big divide between Washington and what we used to call I don't know if we're still allowed to call it this, the third world. In other words, we think that this is just a great power showdown, right? But when you go into poorer, smaller countries, which is most of the world, it's where most of the world's people live, things like sanctions on Russia have real-world implications for like whether there's food on the table uh, or whether people will live. And um, so opposition to Russia invading Ukraine 
it may seem obvious to you and me. I mean, it is. Um, but we are wrong to assume that the whole world feels robustly the way we do. And the whole world is going to feel differently, not because they're not good people, but because they're going to experience what we do differently than we are. Now, you've heard politicians say sanctions will mean higher gas prices or sanctions will mean pinches in the supply chain. But you and I will still exist. We will still live. We'll still have a roof over our head. We'll still be able to go places. We'll have to pay a lot more to do it. But you go to around the world, and you're talking about countries where um, this this entire thing is going to play out with, with consequences that are much more dire. And, you know, we we in this country, we were just talking about how woke, you know, our politics are. This wokeness, this disengagement from reality is probably less popular in the world than anything that's ever come out of the United States of America. You might think Trump was unpopular. Wokeness is way more unpopular. The sanctimoniousness of the United States in the world is not generating a lot of enthusiasm in other places, in other countries. And I don't think the Biden administration gets this. I don't think the leading Republicans get this. We're going to talk about it coming up. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy is going to be on our show. So when you weaponize the global economic system, you don't just hurt Putin or the oligarchs or Russians. You may hurt Brazilians and Ethiopians. And the question becomes, is that is that what you want to do? Are you okay with that? Is that acceptable? You know, got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. This plays into what Putin tells the world about us. They don't care about you. They only care about themselves. They're weak and decadent. They don't, they, they don't have your interests at heart. China is also telling the developing world this. America has abandoned you. You can't depend on them anymore. Look at what they do. Look at what they do to their closest allies. So they're certainly not friends of yours down there, further down the food chain or smaller, younger countries. And um, our unpredictability, our sort of pretending we don't know what a woman is, our disengagement from um, traditional values, pretending we don't know right and wrong, letting what uh, one commentator, I forget who said this, but it's such a great quote, was a commentator who said the politics of the faculty lounge are not the politics of the rest of the world. What we have right now in Washington is the politics of the faculty lounge, right? That's what's driving so many of the decisions we make, and the, and it's the face we show to the world. It's it's how we look to the world. I mean, just to take one story today, this, this notion that a highly accomplished American woman appointed or nominated, I should say, to a position of authority is pretending in front of the whole world not to know the meaning of a basic word. 210-599-5555. So, wokeness isn't just our problem, it's kind of the world's problem. And um, I, I keep thinking about what we're doing and how we're doing this, and we're doing this in the name of avoiding war, because that would be the worst thing. I wonder if it is. 
I wonder if it is. I mean, it's possible what we're doing and all these other things short of war and non-war and we don't want to have a war are are pretty brutal and pretty awful for a lot of other people who are not parties to this dispute. It's not their fault, you know? No one asked them in their country. 210-599-5555. So, Congressman Chip Roy going to join us. Tell me what you think. We... Um, We've had a lot of moments on the show. I want to play one for you here. Uh, we've had a lot of moments on the show where a parent has addressed a school board meeting. This is a woman. It's happened the other night in Cherokee County, Georgia. She's presenting to the school board about a library book, a book in the school library that she thinks should not be there. And she's going through how laborious the process is of, of getting that book uh, challenged and removed. And then as part of her talk to the school board, she reads from the book. Take a listen to this. Step four, you send it to the appeals group. Step five, it's a three-week review process. The current wait time is November. Step six, the book is pulled from the libraries to review. If it's in the holding line until November, it stays there for all the other kids to read. Step seven, yes, they do use our tax money to buy a copy of the book for each of the 20 people on the committee. Step eight, if one person in the committee thinks that it should stay, it does. Like the one child that's on the appeals committee who said the book, the book Homegoing, must stay because it's on their AP required reading list. Here's an excerpt, and I'm going to really try to be careful so I don't get kicked out. Excited now, he pushed into her. As she squeezed her eyes and tightly as she could, her tongue circled her lips. He pushed harder, his breath heavy and labored. She scratched his back, and he cried out. She bit his ear and pulled his hair. There's a lot more to it. It's 50 shades of gray and CCSD. Step nine, then they give the verdict and pull all those copies that we bought back on the shelves of more schools. Excuse yes, me. Yes, you are right. Excuse me. Yes. We have children at home. I know you're streaming, and, and it's really not a Don't you find the that. irony in that? Oh, you're man. Exactly so, exactly so they shut her down because they said, you, you're reading this racy excerpt from the book. There might be children watching. That's a real thing. First of all, I don't know if children do watch. It must be very, they must not have a very good cable system if children are watching the school board proceedings in Cherokee County, Georgia. But, but seriously, don't read that book out loud. Children might hear. It's a book that's in their library. That's where we're at right now. Um, and the, the the funny thing about this entire uh, parental uprising of of going to school boards and speaking out, and I mean this is a this is a big thing, right? I mean we've talked a lot about this on the show. We've played you a lot of these moments of parents, uh, you know, kind of rising up and and uh, and speaking out and and challenging school boards, and it always ends with them being told to shut up and sit down or removed from the place, or a policeman escorts them out or whatever. But this one, they stop her. Because they're embarrassed by what's in the book. Yeah. Thank goodness she didn't ask them to define a woman. Joining us now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is a man who knows the definition of a woman and many other things, Congressman Chip Roy. Congressman, good afternoon. Hey, Jack, how are you? That is some kind of town you got there, Washington, D.C. I mean, it is just surreal to see an educated, accomplished person pretend they don't know the answer to a question. 
Well, let me tell you, first of all, I'm not in that town. God bless America. I'm near Fredericksburg, Texas, uh, actually near Stonewall at uh, Garrison Brothers uh, Distillery. Uh, my staff and I are in the district and happily traveling mm. around, so I'm not in D.C. However, mm. I am paying attention to all the garbage in Washington. As you know, I'm a former lawyer on the Senate Judiciary Committee, so I know these issues well. I've been through a number of Supreme Court confirmations, uh, Alito and uh, Roberts and a whole bunch of others. Um, it's absurd what we saw happening, uh, you know, uh, inability to answer the question, uh, what is a woman, uh, the, the ties and the history of her connection to critical race theory. Uh, you know, obviously there's some questions about the sentencing uh, issues, but, you know, th- there's a much bigger and deeper issue here. Like she's a product of the leftist Ivy League indoctrination camps that are, uh, you know, poisoning our entire legal system. It's on full display right now. She can't even answer what a woman is. Um, you know, this is an easy call, but this is what, what this is the future of our courts. We don't stand up right now and, and save them. Well, um, obviously, the, the the big sort of underlying problem is the the loss of objectivist truth. The idea that something is objectively true that things like this are not subjective. Uh, but I, I have to ask you, as somebody that has been involved, I know the House does not approve these judges, but as you say, you you did the staff work in the Senate. People watching this are going to start to wonder, what's the point of even having a confirmation hearing when both parties, senators, are basically, you know, playing their roles, playing their part. We know the outcome. Uh, we know that judges will not, or, or candidates for the court will not give answers that might uh, in any way cost them votes. So wh- wh- where, where is this process? What's the future of this process? Well, look, the reason the founders gave us the process where the Senate has to confirm is to have some sort of of check on the president being able to just pack the judiciary with people who, frankly, don't reflect uh, any uh, devotion to the Constitution, the rule of law or the values of the American people. They're supposed to be judging. Right. I mean, they're they're supposed to be judging uh, all of the questions that come before them. And so I have no problem with there being division. I just it's, it's just taken Republicans about 30 years to wake up to where Democrats were in the 1980s when Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer destroyed the Judiciary Committee process. Go back and look what they did to mm-hmm. Clarence Thomas, my good friend who's in the hospital right now, what they did to Robert Bork, what they did to Miguel mm-hmm. Estrada, kicking him off the court because he's conservative Hispanic, what they did to Priscilla Owen because she's a female, what they did to Janice Rogers Brown because she's a conservative black female. They did that. They made this bed. Mm-hmm. They own this. Republicans are finally catching up to the fact that they politicized it, and they need to make sure that right now we don't pack the courts with crazy radical leftists like we're seeing now is the only kind of nominees Democrats are putting forward right out of the you know Ivy League leftist playbook. And look, you're seeing it unfold with this critical race theory stuff. Did you see the report over the last week about the American Bar Association requiring uh, yes. law schools to to actually teach critical race theory kind of indoctrination? Look, this is the future of your country. You're going to have a totalitarian state by committee rather than having a despot like Putin if we don't stop judges and the leftists from taking over our country. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said, and that was very depressing to see that. I I, um, I, I feel like so much of this is fear-based, Congressman. In other words, it isn't that she didn't know the answer. It isn't that people at the ABA don't know. It's that everyone is, is, is making a fear based and it's a chain thing one leads to another leads to another the fear is uh saying what you know is true versus saying what you know they want to hear well that's right i mean look it's a lot of performance um that's what we're seeing increasingly in all of these hearings 
Um, but but what you're seeing though is the process working to some degree, right? You're you're seeing a lot of this stuff being exposed by members of the Senate who are supposed to supposed to expose it. Look, our job, and I believe the job of these senators is to make sure the American people know precisely what they're getting on the court and and understand what's hanging in the balance, okay? You know, the, the, the left has made this about Roe for years, but what's really hanging in the balance is, is the Constitution going to actually protect you and me and the rest of the mm-hmm. American people and our fellow Texans from the long arm of government or, hell, even the short arm of local government because we don't have our rights being protected through the Bill of Rights because they don't care. They're throwing First Amendment aside. You saw Yale Law School. These people are bat crap crazy. They have no business yeah. in law. But let me ask they you this, they, they and I agree with you. I, you know I agree with you on that. But but let me ask you this. i got to come back to the process, and then I, I promise I'll let it go. But if the process is working, other than the exposure of crazy answers to straightforward questions, right. if the process is working, why does it never change a senator's vote? She's going to come out of this, no matter what she says, with the exact same number of senators she had going in. Well, that could be true, but let, let me go back and rewind the clock for you a little bit, right? Uh, Justice Thomas's vote in 1991, if I remember correctly, was something like 52 to 48. But if you go back and look what Ruth Bader Ginsburg's vote was in 1990, I think, 6, I'm pulling that from memory, it was 96 to 3. Right. 3. You have three Republicans willing to say that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was too far to the left of where the mainstream of the American people are. But the reality is now you're going to see something closer to a partisan vote. Now, I'm sure, you know, your Romneys and your other weak need Republicans are going to, you know, think about confirming. But at the end of the day, people are going to look at this now in a different way than they did uh, 25 years ago. Do, Do I think the process should be better? Sure. But at the end of the day right now, you've got a radical left that has filled our law schools, a radical left that has filled our entire judiciary, and we've got to stop it if we want to preserve our constitutional rights and our ability to live free in this country. Real quick, uh, Congressman, if I can ask you about one other thing. Uh, Some of your Democratic colleagues have an idea, it's been floating around for a while, and now they're putting it together, of vouchers, or what they call Biden bucks, to help Americans pay for gas. Uh, How likely is that to take shape? You know, I don't know. I mean, never uh, surprise yourself with with another dollar that, uh, you know, our Democratic colleagues in Washington want to go spend and throw out on the back of our, our kids and grandkids racking up debt. Uh, obviously, we just threw $14 billion at Ukraine. Uh, we've been throwing money around left and right on COVID. We're bankrupting our kids' future. We're $30 trillion in debt. We just increased the budget last this life cycle, $100 billion. It's insane. I voted against it because it's crazy. Uh, but the fact is they're going to go want to go hand out gas cards because they've been clamping down on American oil and gas. Why don't you open up the fields? Why don't you get the permitting mm-hmm. processes open? Why don't you open up LNG? Why don't you stop clamping down on American oil and gas producers? Allow us to produce the oil and gas that we need. They yeah, but the voucher the voucher idea lets them have their cake and eat it too. They get to have their green energy, you know, they get to have their green energy bragging rights. We didn't expand, we didn't increase production, and we gave people money to ease their pain. I mean, this is the this is what we did with COVID. I have the feeling this is what we're going to do with with oil and gas prices. Then we'll do it with grocery prices. Where does that end? Well, I'm going to vote against it, of course, because I don't believe the federal government ought to be in the business of handouts. I don't care who it's for or what it's you know what it's about. But right now, what we've got to do is stand up to try to force this administration to open up American oil and gas. They want to go try to hand out cards. The American people are going to laugh at it. Some of them might take them because they're hurting because of the policies of this administration. But uh, we've got to reopen our economy or we're going to absolutely destroy it. 
we can't do this anymore. There is no fast path to whatever they want to do with this unicorn energy they believe in. Uh, we should open up American energy of all kinds, nuclear energy. Uh, why don't we permit this stuff? We haven't had a full plant to produce some nuclear power since 1976 in America. Think about that. Yeah. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we open it all up? You, want, you don't want to produce carbon dioxide? Produce nuclear energy. Do it now. Call their bluff. They don't believe that because it's about power. They want to fill the fields with solar panels and wind, wind turbines, thinking that they can have their cake and eat it too, and they can't. And now the roost, you know, it's all coming to roost right now, uh, and we're having to feel the pain because we're now dealing with Russia. Uh, we shouldn't be in this position. We were Amer- energy independent two years ago. We should be now. Congressman Chip Roy joining us. Congressman, always good to have you. Thanks for the time today. We appreciate it. God bless, Jack. Take care. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but, you know, gas prices are not only high here, but they're high in Europe and all over the Western world. So what they've, uh, what the British government is now urging people to do is only drive a few days a week. Some European uh, governments are calling for car-free Sundays. Some are going to start limiting access to roads and highways for privately owned vehicles. So this is on top of, all right, this is layered on top of the mandating of electric, the mandating of zero emission by such and such a date. And by the way, they're even more aggressive about it over there than we have been and are over here, the push for electric. But now they're, they're basically, if you will, locking down or urging the lockdown of personal use vehicles. Remember Rahm Emanuel, the famous quote, never let a crisis go to waste? Part of that thinking is that once you've used the power of government to restrain people for whatever reason, that now becomes a precedent. You can do it again. And you've heard me say this before, and I'm not the only one saying it. The COVID lockdowns are a model. They're a, they're a, a method, if you will. They're a tool that will get used again. And it doesn't have to be for a virus. It doesn't have to be for a, a pandemic. Wouldn't you say that if we start telling people to stay home and not drive their cars, is that not a kind of lockdown? So there's something in, um, uh, in Paris called the International Energy Agency, and they've come out with a 10-point plan to deal with the higher gas prices. They are also calling for car-free Sundays and limiting access to roads. Uh, they want less uh, business travel of all kinds, not just in cars, but let's not have people taking business trips on planes and trains. Let's have lower speed limits. Let's have more use of public transportation. Do you think they would be calling for this stuff if they hadn't seen the compliance and the obedience with pandemic restrictions all around the world? Don't you think the elected and unelected people who barked out these orders at us for the last two years now believe they can do it again? They got healthy people to wear masks. They have children still wearing them. It's funny how so many of the solutions to the gas price issue look just like the solutions to COVID. And notice that the solutions 
are always that you should make do with less. Not we've got to drill and develop and extract and innovate our way out of this, but you just have to get used to things being not so great. Things are going to be different. There was a very controversial, it's been, it's been in the news for the last few days, was, it was a very controversial um, op-ed that ran at Bloomberg.com by an economics professor named Teresa Gilarducci, who kind of sounds like she may be a bison, I'm sorry to say. I'm embarrassed to say. But she wrote this um, Marie Antoinette op-ed piece where she said uh, to deal with gas prices, um, reconsider public transportation. She says inflation, uh, if you want to deal with inflation, take the bus, don't buy in bulk, try lentils instead of meat. Nobody said this would be fun. She sounds like she could be uh, BFFs with Pete Buttigieg, who says, uh, just slide yourself into an electric car. You're good to go. So the answer is always, um, you should just get used to the pain, grin and bear it. I'm sure right around the corner there'll be some politician that will add, and you'll feel patriotic when you do, when you're having your lentil burger, and you're not driving your car anymore. You're going to feel like a super duper patriot. You're going to be like, you're going to be like Audie Murphy, John Wayne. And, you know, I, I, here, here's the thing. I actually believe we have to hit rock bottom in terms of this kind of insanity to wake people up. She's doing a service in a weird way. I mean, it's an outrageous, out of touch, elitist, you know, smug, response eat some lentils <laughs> have some i mean i love lentils don't get me wrong but what a thing to say to people but 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 this is what wakes people up when when you talk down to people this starkly that's what gets them it's when it's subtle and nuanced the way barack obama did it that yeah it's not that bad. but right now the mo- the moment we're having right now and if they try the covid 2.0 approach with with oil and gas prices that will wake up way more people and, and waking people up that's why we have parents going to school board meetings right because it took it took a dramatic turn of events it took a shocking you know plunge into the ice cold waters of critical race theory for people to go wait a minute hold on this isn't the public school i remember and it's the same thing here. And I, I really believe, and I was saying this to a friend of mine over the past weekend, when they come for people's cars in this country, and in the West in general, but in this country, when they come for people's cars, you know that saying, you can have my gun when you pry my colt? Well, cars are right up there. The car is an instrument of freedom, not just an instrument of transportation. I mean, you look at the history of the car. It's the most democratizing, uh, liberating invention mankind has ever come up with. There isn't anything that has freed more people, that has helped more people rise economically, socially, than the car. It's transformed lives. And your car isn't just another appliance you you have you have a house full of appliances you have toasters and blenders and you know but but your car is in a different category right because it 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 
It affords you freedom. Nobody says, my toaster makes me more free. My coffee maker makes me more free. But your car does. You know that. And your car is even an extension of your personality, right? You probably bought a car that is the car you think you should be driving or the type of car you think you should be driving. Maybe you drive a pickup truck and you don't really need one, but that's who you are. Or maybe you drive a little two-door, two-seater car and that's who you are, you midlife crisis guy. Just kidding. Or not. But, I mean, let them come for the cars. Let's see what happens. Because I think they are coming for them. And I think their solution to the pump prices is not going to... Yeah, they're going to come. They're going to do the voucher thing. I believe that's going to happen. I know Chip Roy said he'll vote against it, but I'm afraid we don't have enough Chip Roy's. Um, they're they're going to do the voucher thing, and there'll be some... Believe me, there'll be some amelioration of those gas prices this year because of the midterm election in November, but long-term, they want those prices high and higher. They want you the hell out of those cars. By the way, once you're dependent on public transportation, you're a lot more dependent on them. You can only go where they run the buses and the trains. And imagine roll back the clock to March of 2020 when we were going to do the 15 days to flatten the curve and, oh, we're going to deem which businesses are essential and non-essential. Remember all that? Remember those fun times? Okay, now imagine a world where we didn't have our own personal transportation appliance. Imagine the fun Nelson Wolf would have had locking us down then if we could only go places when Nelson said we could and where we could and how we could. I don't think there would have been any essential businesses. I don't think there would have been anything if they could have kept you in your home. And and without personal use vehicles, that would go a long way toward it. So something to think about when they say they promise to help you out at the pump. Oh, they're going to help you out, all right, but they're not going to help you out at the pump. They're going to help you out of your car if you let them. You know, it would be one thing if we really, truly were running out of something. But to be lied to, to have them pretend that we are, and then to have them say it's it's to save the planet, and then to tell them, and, and then to... to fudge the numbers, cook the books on that. And then to revert to their good old social control playbook, well, why don't you just stay home and depend on the government more, which is their answer for everything, right? Yeah, I, I truly believe we're coming to a moment where more and more people are going to wake up, not because I'm saying it or... Some guy on the radio is saying it, or some political party is arguing it. But there's something essential about the freedom to move around. I mean, if you don't get that, I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to reach you. There was an interesting interview. I read. I, I read a lot of car blogs, and there, you believe me, you would. You think the show's boring now? <laughs> I'm glad I don't bring this up more often. But anyway, I was reading an interview with a, a man named Christian von Koenigsegg. Uh, now, Koenigsegg is the CEO of a company, I think they're Swedish, I think, but um, they make supercars. They make very, very high-dollar, exclusive, limited-production cars. They're, you know, like McLarens or, you know, that, that level of car. Um, and they were interviewing him uh, on this blog about what's going on with 
electric. And he his company has a foot in both camps. They they build internal combustion cars and they build electric. He said something I never thought of before. He said, people know how to differentiate between different kinds of gasoline-powered cars. In other words, even if you're not a car buff, if I say 12-cylinder engine, you know that's a big, more powerful engine. If I say four-cylinder, you know that's a small uh, gas-sipping economy engine. People buy and choose vehicles uh, based on the differences. Do they want speed and performance? Do they want economy? People know the differences between combustion engines and therefore between the cars that have them. He said, we understand what's under the hood of today's cars, and we make our informed or emotional choices. But he said, with electric cars, it's hard to do that. We don't really know what is under the hood. I mean, we know, but we don't know what it means. How do you decide what is the right power plant? How do you decide between um, what they call mild hybrid, plug-in hybrid, range-extending hybrid, fuel cell, and, and so forth? And, and how do you distinguish between different electric motors? Now, someday people will know, maybe. But right now, that's a a blank spot for most people. And so his point is, right now, people who buy electric vehicles are pretty much just buying the concept of an electric vehicle. And in fact, if you think about it, people that drive electric now have made the electric choice first, and then they've maybe said, well, I want a Tesla, or I want a Ford Mustang Mach-E, or I want, you know. But... um we're not at the point yet where drivers are making uh, the same kinds of decisions. And we probably won't be at that point uh, for quite a while. And see, he knows that that's a big part of what goes into buying cars. The millions of cars that we sell every year in this country are, are decisions that are not just practical, you know, kind of, uh, you know, put pencil to paper decisions. They're emotional decisions. They're personality decisions and you know that every time you hear a guy in a you know sports car rev his engines at a stoplight so i think we're i I think we're at a point where politicians are urging us to do something we are not ready to do that's not even getting into the fact that the industry is not ready to supply them the Grid is not ready to recharge them. I mean, all of that aside, we've talked about those things before, but I thought he made an interesting point. Uh, every internal combustion engine car is unique. Electric vehicles aren't and may never be as unique. May never be the same extension of you. Different models, different brand names, different nameplates. It was about a month ago that President Biden scored some political points, and kept a promise he had made as a candidate to name the first African-American woman to the Supreme Court. And this week has brought the confirmation hearings for Federal Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, who currently sits on the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. was confirmed to that last year. There's been a lot of 
I don't know and I can't for a judge who attended Harvard for both college and law school and edited the Harvard Law Review. I mean, that's the upper crust. That's the tippity-top of the American higher education pyramid, Harvard. I mean, I went to a university where I could see Harvard. (laughs) I didn't go to Harvard. Um, So does she really not know, or is she just not saying when she gets these questions? I'm going to play you a couple of examples. This is from last night. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asks Judge Jackson to define the word woman. Cut number two. Uh, Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, People make arguments, and I look at the right. law, and I decide. Well, so I'm not... The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education okay. that we... So that was uh, the answer about, uh, I can't define a woman, I'm not a biologist. Damn it, Jim. Uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana asked her, when does life begin? When does life begin? Cut number three. When, uh, when does life begin, in your opinion? Senator, um, I don't know. <laughs> Ma'am? I don't know. Do you have I, a I belief? I, I have... Um, personal, religious, and otherwise beliefs that have nothing to do with the law in terms of when life begins. Do you you have a personal belief, though, about when life begins? I have a religious view. Religious belief? That I set aside when I am ruling on cases. Okay. When does does equal protection of the laws attach to to a human being? Well, Senator, um, I believe that the Supreme Court, um, actually, I I actually don't know the answer to that question. I'm sorry. I don't. Senator Ted Cruz uh, was asking her about critical race theory. Now, we know that she's dealt with it. She sits on uh, an overview board of a university, um, certainly as a prominent uh, African-American woman. She's heard of it or perhaps even discussed it privately she told ted cruz quote it doesn't come up in my work as a judge cut number five so yesterday uh under under questioning from senator blackburn uh you told her that that you couldn't define what a woman is uh that you were not a biologist which which i think you're the the only supreme court nominee in history who's been unable to answer the question what is a woman let me ask you, as a judge, how would you determine if a plaintiff had Article Three standing uh, to challenge a gender-based rule, regulation, policy, uh, without being able to determine what a woman was? 
So, Senator, I know that I'm a woman. I know that um, Senator Blackburn is a woman, and the woman who I um, admire most in the world is in the room today, my mother. Um, it sounded as though well, but, the but, question but, but, was... But let me ask, under the modern leftist sensibilities, if, if I decide right now that, that I'm a woman, um, then apparently I'm a woman. Does that mean that I would have Article Three standing to challenge a gender-based restriction? Senator, to the extent that you are asking me about um, who has the ability to bring lawsuits based on gender, those kinds of issues are working their way through the courts and I'm not able to comment on them. Okay, if, if, if I can change my gender, if I can be a woman, and then an hour later if I decide I'm not a woman anymore, I guess I would lose Article Three standing. Tell me, does that same principle apply to other protected characteristics? For example, I'm, I'm an Hispanic man. Could, could I decide I was an Asian man? Would, would I have the ability to be an Asian man and challenge Harvard's discrimination because I made that decision? Senator, I'm not able to answer your question. You're asking me about hypotheticals and... Um well, I'm asking you how you would assess standing if I, if I came in and said, I have decided I identify as an Asian man. I would assess standing the way I assess other legal issues, which is to listen to the arguments made by the parties, consider the relevant precedents, uh, and the constitutional principles involved, and make a determination. So, is she, um, she, she's a very smart person, but... Is she being too smart here? Is she avoiding answering questions that she knows the answer to, that she can answer? I mean, it's true you can't, in a confirmation hearing, and this has come up with other nominees like Amy Coney Barrett, you cannot comment or express a personal opinion about a specific set of circumstances you will be judging. You can't say, hey, when we get a hold of that Smith versus Jones case, I think Smith's full of crap and Jones is going to win. You can't say that. But the stuff they're asking her is the bread and butter of our public discourse. It is absolutely going to be before the Supreme Court. And his question in particular is crafted as to not how would you, how would you rule, but how would you determine standing? Does she not know, or is she not giving answers that she does know? And obviously, I think it's the latter. What do you think? Are these good questions with bad answers? Or some people would say, and, and a couple of emailers have said, no, Jack, these are bad questions. Shame on the Republicans for asking these questions. Shame on them for putting her in this position. It's so wrong. They're terrible. What do you think? How do you feel about that? 210-599-5555. The part about not being a biologist is pretty ironic because, obviously, if we were going to default to biologists, this whole, I identify as a woman, I want to swim as a woman, that would all be over in two seconds. Biologists could tell you there are only two genders, and your gender is determined at the moment that the sperm uh, fertilizes the egg. And you can have all kinds of feelings and identities, and you can decide to live however you want to live. Those are separate questions, but it doesn't change your gender. I mean, you can tell people you're Napoleon, 
That can be your reality, but that doesn't make you Napoleon. So the fact that she's not a biologist, I only wish we did listen to them. At her confirmation hearings, Judge Jackson couldn't define woman. Bad answer, or was it a bad question? Jake is on KTSA tonight. Hi, Jake. Hey, Jack. Yeah, so basically what she's doing is, you know, what every leftist does, and she's playing the game the way they want her to because the people who are trying to put her there based on their completely, you know, racist reasons that they want her there based on nothing solely but the color of her skin and that she's a female. She's avoiding the questions because if she says anything to the contrary of the far left beliefs, then they're not... They're not going to favor her as much as they did before. Hmm. So you're saying she's afraid of the people that actually are her biggest supporters. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it, why, why is it so convenient for every Hollywood elite, famous person? Why is it so convenient for them to be a leftist? Because they know that as soon as they say something that that's out of the norm for them, then they get mobbed out. Then they mm-hmm. get, you know, they get canceled. Mm-hmm. You get mm-hmm. so that they, they'll they, then they'll eat each other alive. And then uh, this is another thing that that uh, I think, especially like, you know, people what they whatever they think about Joe Biden. I mean, he has plenty of uh, sketchy things that he's done. You know, with all the, you, there, I mean, there's plenty of video compilations of him sniffing kids and stuff. Wouldn't it be perfect to have this judge who's soft on pedophiles to, you know, why why not? Because it, they would protect all yeah, of them. Yeah, but I want to go back to what you said about the base, because I think that's a great point, Jake. And I think you're right. And that was how I read it. I feel like she is afraid of her own supporters. She is afraid of the party that is backing her. And this is a problem in our politics, because the Republicans have this problem, too. Do you know how many Republicans say things only to make sure they don't piss off Trump supporters. And they don't really believe it, but they just know they have to say it. And so we're, we're, we're basically being lied to by both sides. Oh, believe me, I'm sick and tired of the Republicans. There isn't, there isn't half of any of them. But, I mean, how do you have a system where people are afraid of their own supporters? You're supposed to be worried about the, the, the opponents. Our system is so screwed up i almost used a bad word that you that you're afraid of your own base because you said it that's absolutely right she is afraid of her own base well just imagine if if every republican but the problem is they're they're not really republicans they're rhinos they're there to be a part of the swamp they're bought out they're all bought and paid for imagine if we had every republican that was like ron DeSantis. Can you imagine how much more success there would be? How much more things? Would I, I, well, get that, done? yeah, and I mean, I think he's one of the rare people that that marches to his own drummer. But I see so many people in the Republican Party that try to ape or 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 just their answer to everything is well, whatever Trump said. But I don't think they believe that. That is a fear reaction. It, it's their version of saying, "I can't define woman." You know, I don't. I don't want to have to think about this. I don't want to answer honestly. Or I, I don't want to tell you that I differ with Trump about something, so I'm just going to, just so nobody gets mad at me, I'm just going to say, oh, yeah, whatever whatever he says is, uh, is you know, goes. I, I, that's a great observation, Jake. I think you're right. And, and, and as far as Judge Jackson is concerned, um, the difference is, and I, I'm going to sound naive saying this, but 
this she's not a politician, right? Or she's not supposed to be. Maybe maybe you think she is, but this is a this is an appointed judicial nomination. So once she's she gets it, I mean the job she has now, she has for life. There's no there's no election campaign for federal judges. She doesn't have to come before the voters. And if she gets this, this is for life, or until she retires or resigns. It's not as if she has to worry about whether she has popularity in the Democratic Party or with the squad or with people that watch MSNBC or The View, but they're afraid. She is a woman that knows the answers to these questions Senators Cruz, Blackburn, and Kennedy put to her. She could answer them. To me, and I know people want to make this about wokeism, but I also want you to understand how fearful our politics have become, how fear-filled our politics have become. You need to understand how much of what's happening is happening because of fear. Joe Biden is another example of this. I mean, I don't claim to be a Biden expert, but I've watched this man a long time. This is not the Green New Deal. (laughs) This is not who he ever was. This is not where he comes from. This is not how he came into politics or came up through politics. He came into the Democratic Party when the Democratic Party had conservatives in it and pro-lifers in it. He was friends with segregationist Southern senators. This is a guy that was to the right of Jimmy Carter in the Democratic Party. And he is so afraid of the modern base of the Democratic Party that he has allowed it to control him. He would never have become president if he didn't make that deal. He made that deal. He got what he's wanted half of his life. But it's a fear-based relationship. They don't respect him. They don't revere and idolize him. They probably laugh at him behind his back. But they needed him, and he needed them. And Judge Jackson knows the answer to the question Marsha Blackburn put to her. But she also knows, as Jake said, that it would be dangerous to give it. And if it's dangerous for somebody with a lifetime appointment to the federal bench, imagine how dangerous it would be for you to say it at work or your daughter to say it at college or your son to say it in his social studies classroom during a current events discussion. That's where we're at right now. That's why this matters even more than just whether or not she gets on the Supreme Court. Because I'm sorry, no matter what she says, she's getting on. And she's getting on because the math is there for her to get on. I I could be wrong about this, but I don't think a single vote will change between the time she was nominated, which was a month ago tomorrow, and the um, the vote whenever that is. Like, I don't think some Republican senator is going to say, oh, you know, I'm really won over. I des- I've decided I'm going to vote for her. If there's a Republican that votes for her, that Republican was going to vote for her already. And if there is a Democrat who opposes her, which I doubt there is, that opposition was already there. So this whole process isn't about her answers. But her answers are about fear. And um, think about all the other things we've talked about. Think, you know, we talk about critical race theory. We talk about 
um, progressive wokeism in the classroom, th- there's two parts to that. One part is what they're putting into our kids' heads. But the other part of that is teaching our kids, and by kids, of course, I mean not just children, but, you know, college students. We're also teaching them, hey, there's stuff you can't talk about. There's stuff you can't say. So even though you know the person next to you is a biological male, you have to use his pronouns. Or made-up words like G and Jur and Wamixin and Latinx and so forth. Pretty dangerous, I think, when young people are learning all this because they don't have normal to refer back to like you and I do. We can be outraged by this because we remember when it wasn't like this. They won't have that memory. They won't know there was ever a time when there were two genders. What what are we going to do when there's no one left to remind them? And they never knew it. Could, could I decide I was an Asian man? Would, would I have the ability to be an Asian man and challenge Harvard's discrimination because I made that decision? Senator, I'm not able to answer your question. You're... Mm. Would Ted Cruz make a good Asian man? I don't know. i got to think about it. No, second thought, I'm not going to think about it. <laughs> On third thought, I don't want to think about it. Um... It's just kind of sad today. I mean, it's it's sad when anyone dies, but of all days for Madeleine Albright to pass away, the first woman to ever serve as Secretary of State, died of uh, a lengthy illness at the age of 84, her family announced this afternoon. Here is a woman who, whether you agree or disagree with her politics, and she was appointed by President Clinton, but here here is someone who... Um, made history as a woman on the day that we are discussing whether or not there is a definition of woman. Just the word half a definition. I also think it's interesting, if you know anything about her history, Madeleine Albright was an immigrant. Her family left, I believe it was Czechoslovakia, after the communists uh, overthrew the government. It was one of the first uh, countries to disappear behind the so-called Iron Curtain. Um, and the uh, nation formerly known as Czechoslovakia, her family emigrated from there, fleeing communism, fleeing anti-Semitism, because they were Jewish. Um, she told an interesting story one time. I, I forget where I saw this interview. It might have been 60 Minutes or something like that, where she said that she actually didn't know most of what had happened to her family and the history of what how they came out of Czechoslovakia and so forth until she was much, much older, until she was an adult and, and had you know already made a name for herself in the world, that her family had sheltered her, shielded her, if you will, from what they had taken her away from. So you think about what's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine 
And here in this country, the what I think is a great disservice to women, the erasing of the word woman, the erasing of the definition of a woman, the idea that there's nothing about womanhood that men can't just take and have and use whenever they feel like it, whenever they want to borrow it, adopt it. And on, on, in the midst of all this, this his, history-making woman has passed away. Are we honoring people like her with what we're doing right now? Are we, you know, I, I know there's a lot of, like, sort of, idolization of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, particularly on the left. My, I have some very liberal people in my family, and there's practically altars to Ruth Bader Ginsburg in their home. I don't know how you square that with erasing womanhood, uh, erasing women as a gender. Uh, and uh, then I noticed today, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about this swimmer, Leah Thomas. Now, you know that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, uh, has made even more uh, of an issue of this. He issued a proclamation declaring the swimmer who came in second to Leah Thomas, a swimmer named Emma Wyant, as the actual champion. And it's kind of trolling. I mean, he's the governor of Florida. He has no governance over the NCAA. So it's a proclamation. It's like when they, it's like when they, you know, say, "Oh, today's Jack Riccardi Day in San Antonio or whatever." You know, it's just a piece of paper. But he put out this proclamation, right, uh, recognizing this swimmer because she's from Florida, Emma Wyand, as the true NCAA champion. And the Orlando Sentinel newspaper, in reporting on it, put the word "female" in quotations to describe Emma Wyand. Emma Wyant is female. It's not allegedly, supposedly, so she says. You know what I mean? Even real women are now in quotations. But if they had put Leah Thomas female in quotations, that would have been a hate crime. I'm telling you, don't, don't lose heart. Don't get to, don't get despair because it, we have to hit rock bottom. This has to become sublimely ridiculous. For people to wake up. You're awake. You woke up. You get it. But you know there are people that don't yet, haven't yet. They're still nodding off. It takes stuff like this to make them go, whoa, what the heck? These are those red pill moments. We need them. We need a lot of them. We're going to have a lot of them. 210-599-5555. Have you been following this, um, the crash of this uh, Chinese jetliner? I don't know if you heard about this. This happened the other day. A, a 737 operated by China Eastern Airlines, which is an internal Chinese airline, uh, nosedived into the ground. There's actually video. People recorded this on, like, dash cams and surveillance cameras. It's unbelievable. If you have not seen it, it's horrendous. The plane flying at almost the speed of sound straight into the ground, not descending or catching fire or tumbling. Just it flies into the ground like a dart. Obviously, everyone killed. They say the force of the crash was so great that they may not be able to use the black box equipment that normally is so impervious to damage. But now there is some question 
about what might have happened on that plane. Because experts are looking at this and saying, you know, this doesn't look like a mechanical failure. The plane is going along. It's at 29,000 feet. The metrics are normal. And then it goes into a nosedive. There's no in-between. And so they're questioning, did, did the pilot take it into the ground? Was there a struggle in the cockpit? Um, a fight over the controls, and, and how, how did that go down, and why did that happen? Or was the plane struck by something that we don't know about? Because Chinese military aircraft wouldn't have those uh, identifying beacons or what have you, so the, the, the people that watch this stuff on the Internet wouldn't have known if it collided with a Chinese plane, that Chinese plane wouldn't show up, or a missile, or what have you. And how forthcoming will the Chinese be? And some have even noted, some aviation experts like this Australian expert I was reading about last night, he said, I, I don't think this was technical at all. And I, he says, in observing the behavior of the Chinese officials, they almost seem too forthcoming, like they are not being candid, but they may be throwing up a smokescreen of, you know, oh, we're providing a lot of information, so don't think there's anything weird going on here. I mean, that's what you would do if there really was something weird or untoward that had happened. So I don't know if we'll ever know. Remember that Malaysian airliner they never found or found out why? Um, but this is obviously in the early days, so we can't say that for sure. But it's, it's, a, it's a horrendous and kind of darkly uh, fascinating uh, story. And then we have President Biden in Europe now for the meeting with the uh, European allies about Ukraine. It's been noted by people that three uh, Eastern European leaders went into Ukraine and met face to face with Zelensky, were, were photographed and, video, and you know shown on video meeting with him. And that was a great gesture of support for him and uh, vote of confidence. Should President Biden attempt that? Should the United States try to get Joe Biden into Ukraine? I, I mean, I think there's zero chance of that. I know that we've had presidents visit war zones. We had presidents go to Vietnam. We had presidents Bush and Obama go to Afghanistan and Iraq. It's very dangerous. Uh, is there value in that? Joe Biden going to into Ukraine? Interesting. I mean, I I don't want to give a flippant answer. I don't want to give a political answer. I would say no. I would say not. I think American presidents, going back even to when Roosevelt uh, visited, um, you know, places near the front in World War II, I think that's all very, very dangerous. And in this day and age, I mean, Roosevelt couldn't have a Zoom call with Churchill and Stalin, right? But in this day and age, it seems sort of almost absurd to put in the effort, the expense, the, the the Secret Service, the advance work, to have a photo op. Um, and I, I say this not, I didn't vote for Joe Biden, I don't agree with him on anything, but I don't think that this is not a risk that should be taken. And yet, I, I, I get why there is an allure and appeal to it. I could imagine there is somebody around him saying, this would be a, this could be a game changer for you. These are crazy times. This is, these are times when anything goes except the most logical, rational thing or thought. That doesn't have a chance 
the times we live in right now. Um, J.R. Poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, at her confirmation hearing, Judge Jackson couldn't define woman. Was it a bad answer or was it a bad question? Across all of our voting platforms tonight, 95% said it was a bad answer and 5% said it was a bad question. And we'll have a new question, J.R. Poll, maybe a bad one, I don't know. You, you can decide. Tomorrow we'll have that at 4. You can always find the J.R. Poll anytime you want at KTSA.com. You can find this show, whole episodes of this show, also at KTSA.com. And um, a nice memory today. I was, I was reading at uh, KTSA.com about how we have the uh, NCAA uh, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games coming to the AT&T Center. They're going to start playing there tomorrow. And we've got some big teams, Arizona, Houston, Michigan, Nova, uh, coming in. And um, I remember, and I don't know if this was the first, but one of the first times the Final Fours ever came to San Antonio, I believe was 96. And I hadn't been here that long, and it was uh, they had it at the Alamo Dome, and it was so exciting, and it was so cool to be downtown. And everywhere you looked, there were people from other cities and states and wearing the team colors, and I love that stuff. And it's not just because I love college football. I love when stuff like this comes to San Antonio. I love it when people that don't know anything about us have to come okay, because their team is in the Alamo Bowl or their team is in the Final Fours or the regionals or whatever and or they come to a convention and then they have that experience that so many of us had when we came here the first time like wow what where where have they been keeping this city so i think there'll be a lot of that that's a good thing um but yeah i remember walking around in 96 if that wasn't the first time, it was one of the first times we've had it um also saw at ktsa.com we'll have to do more with this done on friday um, I did not know that we were um, about to hit the 35th anniversary of Rick Astley. Now, Rick Astley has become kind of a punch, like a punchline, right, or a uh, a joke line, Rick rolled and all that. But it was 35 years ago that his first album, which went multi-platinum, Whenever You Need Somebody, came out. He was this young guy, 20 years old, very light voice, very poppy sound, came out of nowhere with a number one hit called Never Gonna Give You Up. And um, I was in music radio, and I, I mean, we could not play that song often enough. And it's funny to me because if you ask people today... Everybody thinks that song is a, is a joke, and it's so, oh, man, that's so bad, and oh, my God. I don't know where you all were, but that was a number one hit, and it was number one for quite a while, and people loved it. And then I guess it became cool to not love it or think it was weird or hokey or whatever. And, of course, it's the lyrics are kind of ironic, but um, I, I still like it. I, I still listen to Rick Astley, and I don't know if you know this or not, but Rick Astley kind of had a whole second career which he's still doing. His voice is kind of mellowed and deepened a little bit, and he sings kind of great American songbook stuff now. Really good. Really, really well done, you know, versions of stuff that would have been sung back in the day by Nat King Cole or Frank Sinatra. So, Rick Astley, 35 years ago.
And we'll leave you with it and see you back here on the radio tomorrow at 4.